Come on, here in Durban, we're going to welcome all of those in Belito, all of those that are in Peter Marisburg with us this morning. And then every first time visitor here, there and everywhere. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And then it's welcome all those on Faith TV. Come on, let's give a bigger welcome than that in Jesus' name. I want to start a message this morning. You may be seated. A message simply titled, Upside Down, Right Side Up. Some of you might have never heard of the scripture I'm about to share on this morning. But in actual fact, it's a scripture that God gave me when my son was about to get born. I believed God that my firstborn would be a, a boy. I had no guarantees. And one day I was reading the Bible and I came across the scripture and it mentioned a man's name, Jason, who was fearless, who protected the disciples. And I, I shouted to my wife and said, it's a boy and his name will be Jason. Well, she wasn't that convinced. But when she had the baby, she had a cesarean. Um, the first thing I looked for was not how big the cut was. The first thing I looked for was confirmation that it was a boy. So in Acts chapter 17, turn there quickly if you've got your Bibles from verse 5. It says, but the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob set all the city in uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city crying out, listen to this verse, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. These who have turned the world upside down. I want you to use your brain for a few moments. And I want you to think about it, but wherever God has moved in the world, it has been contrary to what the world is used to, it's been contrary to what the world is expecting, and it's always created opposition. You are part of a kingdom that doesn't really fit into this world. If you are a Christian, you are part of a kingdom that doesn't really fit into this world. Now the truth is, every person has a void on the inside of them. Every person needs to encounter Jesus. Every person has to develop a relationship with God. And the only way to, to get access to God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now just that statement starts a whole lot of tongues wagging. What about the people that don't believe in Jesus? Well, well then they're not going to get to God. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. But I've got friends who, who follow a different, different religion or have a different belief system. Well, that's your job to tell them about Jesus. Ooh. Why am I going, ooh? Because it's contrary to what populists say. It's contrary to what people feel. It sometimes takes us into waters that are uncomfortable. 
And we've just come out of a very uncomfortable season and many have been found wanting. Because in this difficult time that we've come through, many of us have had to assess or reassess what is it that we really believe. These are they that have turned the world upside down. Can I, can I change it and say, maybe by turning the world upside down for Christ, we're actually turning it right side up. I mean, when I became a Christian, I just thought I had to become a nice person, a nicer person. You become a Christian, so you've got to stop doing this and stop doing that. And, and, and people are always putting these like little religious tags onto us. But these disciples in the early church were people that were unafraid. They were people that were bold. They weren't always people that were the so-called educated. And what the world needs right now is some people crazy enough to believe God. Some people crazy enough to serve God. Some people crazy enough to love God. We need some people that are willing to turn the world upside down. I mean, in 2021, after we started this pandemic, um, Pastor, I declared that we would see God's hand and we will recover all and more. How many have even forgotten that that scripture was in 1 Samuel 30? How many people have actually forgotten what they lost and have forgotten that they haven't made progress and forgotten that they're still going through tough times and, and sort of just are living that way? I still every day declare 1 Samuel 30 and I say, God, you know what? I'm standing on that word. You gave me a word. I have recovered some, but I haven't recovered all. So I'm going to keep on trusting you. I'm going to keep on calling it in. I'm going to keep on working. And I really believe that God wants us to recover all and more in the name of Jesus. I believe it. When Pastor gave that scripture and that word for us for 2022, that would be a year of divinely orchestrated breakthrough. I'm still standing on that word. But who else is standing on that word with me? Who else is intentional every day to declare that God, what you've promised is going to come to pass? Oh, I've seen some breakthrough, but I haven't walked through total breakthrough yet. I've seen some recovery, but I haven't seen all of it being recovered. And now for 2023, we're talking about a supernatural acceleration. You see, you see we're trying to serve God with our intellect. And we're trying to serve God with our reason. And we're trying to serve God with all these things that are happening around us. And the bottom line is we've got to get to a place where we serve God with our spirit. And I will preach a message on the battle for your soul between your body and your spirit that, that is always ongoing for all of us at some stage. But what I want to get you to understand, you have to have an encounter with God and when you encounter God, you have to make some decisions about how you're going to follow Him. There's a lot in the Bible that doesn't make sense. Bless those who curse you. I'm going to get to heaven one day and I'm going to ask God, did I misunderstand you? When you meant blessed, did you mean I must give them something or did you mean I must give them something? Because I want to give them something. Bless those who curse you and spitefully use you. We've got a world system that wants us to operate differently. God says in order to get, you need to give. In order to be refreshed, you've got to refresh others. 
It's more blessed to give than to receive. Many things that are contrary to what we are taught as we are growing up. And so this battle goes on because it makes no sense and we don't live in victory because we're always going to what makes sense. I'm looking for some people that are tired of what is happening in this world. I'm looking for some people that are tired and saying, listen, I want to see God move in my life. I want to see God move through my life. I want to see God move in my workplace. I want to see God move in my family. I want to see God move in my school. I'm going to trust you in the good times, the bad times. I'm going to trust you when it makes sense, when it doesn't make sense. But I'm going to hold on to your promises in every season of my life. Because too many of us are controlled by our feelings, controlled by our emotions. I mean, Christianity has been so tempered to that it's all just about us. It's God bless me. It's God give me. It's God I need. In many cases, it's all about motivation and inspiration. And sure, we need motivation. And sure, we need inspiration. But it's not all just about motivation and inspiration. What about some good old-fashioned perspiration and purpose? I don't like serving. Well, serve then. And when you don't like it, serve some more. Because we've got a generation that's only learned how to be served. A generation that is only entitled. People think that if it's uncomfortable, it can't be from God. And if it requires something of me, then we're going to go find another place where we can be served. But what has happened to the believers? They were described as those who have turned the world upside down. Isn't it our mandate as Christians, as the church of Jesus Christ, to turn the world upside down, to get it the right way up? Are you aware of what's happening in the world around you? Are you aware of what they're trying to do in the education system to our children? Are you aware of the fact that the world is robbing us of our identity as Christians and now people are getting more and more confused? And you're offended if somebody sits in your chair. You offended if, if somebody forgets your birthday. Huh? <laughs> it's like Christianity's become all fluffy. It's become all fluffy. I want to get down here so I can get closer to Belita and Peter Maritzburg. <laughs> we turned this Christianity into be nice. And yes, we should be nice. But what happened to those believers that when they encountered God, they encountered God? That when they made a commitment to God, they stuck to their commitment. I mean, I celebrate, and and please no shouting, but I celebrate 29 years of being saved tomorrow. 29 years. It's like a huge day in my life, personally. But when I got saved... The day I got saved, I had nobody phone me up with a 24-hour follow-up. I had nobody come visit me at my house. I had nobody come give me the three steps to salvation. I had nobody do this and nobody do that. When I got saved, I got saved. When I got saved, I realized Jesus Christ is real. My life started then. 
That's why if you ask me how I am, I was born well, born again well. I made a decision. Does it mean that I'm going to not have any challenges? Does it mean I don't go through difficulties? Does it mean I don't have any battles? I haven't made mistakes. Of course I have. I'm on a journey with God. But when I got saved, I got saved. Well, I'm not going to come to the church because... I mean, I had a brother phone me the other day. I don't know how he got my number. He phones me. He says, hi, it's so-and-so. I said, hi. He says, Pastor, I've just phoned to tell you I forgive you. So I asked him for what? And then he responded and said, will you forgive me? I said, for what? When you disappeared, I forgave you. Oh, I mean, how finicky have we become and there's a world out there that is dying without Jesus. And our victory is found in Him and serving the purpose of God. They're going to tease me, but this is not a game. This is not a place we gather to match, patch, and dispatch. I'm coming to church now because my marriage is in trouble. I've been in church for 26 years and had trouble in my marriage. I'm happily married. My wife's not here. She's gone to take care of her father. Uh, uh, so, so there's nothing wrong with my marriage. What I'm trying to say is we didn't get married on the 14th of December 26 years ago and all we did for the rest of our lives is tiptoe through the roses and everything was perfect. We've been through some dark waters. We've been through some challenges. We've had some difficulties. And I say this, thank God for God. Thank God for His grace. Thank God for His mercy. Thank God for the church. Thank God for purpose. Because it's through all these things that I've been able to navigate my life and my journey. It, that's how we stuck it out. This is not a game. I've got two kids, two great kids, but they don't walk on water. They've also given me one or two gray hairs. And thank God for His grace. And thank God for His mercy. And thank God for His church. And thank God for purpose. Because it's through these things that I've navigated raising kids. I'm a father. For 23 years. I nearly said that I know of. <laughs> oh, that's a joke. Really, that was a joke. Don't make a meme out of it. It was a joke. I've only got two kids in the natural. Many spiritual, but two in the natural. And I'm not perfect. And I've made mistakes as a father. But thank God for God. And thank God for His grace. And thank God for His mercy. And thank God for the church. And thank God for purpose. Why? Because it's through these things I've been able to navigate raising my kids. You see, we become fickle. When Paul encountered Christ on the road of Dema to, to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, two things happened. Hey, listen, you look like the paparazzi. Gee, I know you want one picture of me smiling. I know it's difficult, but gee, chill. In Acts chapter 9, that wasn't my instruction, by the way. Really. But they do say it's difficult to get me a, a picture of me smiling. In Acts chapter 9, Paul has this encounter with God on the road to Damascus. Now, now watch this. Paul was a Pharisee, a religious person. He'd been going to church his whole life. He understood the traditions. 
is a very simple message I'm sharing this morning. But he encounters God and his first reaction isn't about what God can do for him. His first reaction is, who are you, Lord? Go and read it, Acts chapter 9. And underline it, who are you, Lord? And I'll come back to this, because the second part is, and what is it that you've called me to do? Because your fulfillment in life is not found in something you get, something you have. Your fulfillment in life and your peace in life is found in a relationship with the living God. And like any relationship, it takes time to develop. I said 29 years, tomorrow I've been saved. And I feel like I only know God that well. But thank God I know Him. Thank God if I drop dead right now, you don't have to cry about me. You can just say He's in heaven. For to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I'm at peace with God. If I die right now, it's no issue. Okay, maybe you cry a little bit to show that you love me, but I won't know that you love me, so don't cry. It's about an encounter that changes you. And you will not find fulfillment in anything else. Listen, it's, it's that real relationship with God that will cause you to be different. That will cause you to make a difference. I mean, the day I got saved was a Tuesday. I think it was a Tuesday. And I went straight to a provincial cricket practice and I found the first guy that I thought was a Christian. And I said to him, listen, Greg, I've given my heart to Jesus. Because I thought it was normal. They ran away from me. I phoned my parents who had been telling me how naughty I used to be or was or is at that time. And I told them, I said, Mom, Dad, I want to tell you, I've given my life to Jesus. Things are going to change. And it was like, we've been through that phase in our life. It doesn't last. My other parents said, whatever blows your hair back. A couple of months later, I said to them, listen, I, I believe I'm going to go into ministry. Oh my goodness, you could have sworn. Can't you do everything in moderation? Anything in moderation? The one minute you're this drinking, parting animal. Now you're this like holy roller. Can't you just do things in moderation? I said, listen, I've got to tell people about Jesus. And my parents looked at me and said, are you going to bum off people for the rest of your life? Listen, somebody that hasn't encountered God will never understand your encounter. Because all of us are different. My wife's encounter with God was different to my encounter with God. If you looked at my wife before she was saved, you would have thought she was a Christian. But she had to have an encounter with God. Like I needed an encounter with God. Like every one of us here today in Durban, Belito, Peter Marisburg need an encounter. And we need fresh encounters. Paul says, who are you? God, what do you want me to do for you? Not God, what can you do for me? God, what is it that you want me to do for you? For us to turn this world upside down, which is the right way up, we're going to have to change our prayer life. The early church disciples were different to the majority of Christians today. And I want to remind you that we've come out of a pandemic worldwide we've come out of a lockdown of 27 months we've come out of people rioting and trying to destroy our city and in that destroy our building where we gather to worship God 
We have been through a lot and endured a lot. And it can't be church as usual going forward. We can't just forget what happened to us and what was done to us. Because the next wave that comes where these kind of things happen is going to restrict us more and limit us more. We are going to have to be the church that God has called us to be and to be a church that is willing to turn the world upside down. I mean, think for a moment the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to read a few verses. In verse 5, it says, Now Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. They didn't like him because he was his father's favorite. His father bought him clothes from Armani, Dolce and Gabbana, and every high-end brand, and took his brothers to pick and pay clothing shops. That's the extreme. He was the son of his old age. And so he loved him and he comes and has this dream and he tells it to his brothers and they hate him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. Be careful with whom you share your dreams. And there we were binding sheaves in the field and behold my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And all his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Verse 9, then he dreamed still another dream. And told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Joseph had two dreams. I believe those dreams was a dream of greatness and the second one was significance. We have to be dreamers and our dreams of greatness need to marry significance which becomes purpose. And too often we get caught up in the dream of greatness when it's all about us, when it also needs to become a dream of significance which is about others. The Bible says in Daniel 11:32, be the second part, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. I want you to hear me today, whether you're a young person, an older person, a mature person, never stop dreaming. Never stop dreaming and never put limits on your dreams and don't be a person known to put limits on the dreams of others. Don't be a dream stealer. We mustn't stop dreaming just because we've been through some stuff. We mustn't minimize or or make our dreams smaller because of some setbacks or negative experiences. I mean, God sort of arrested me this week and He said, what's happened to the gallery? You're not talking about the gallery. What's happened to fixing up the building? You're not talking about the building. What's happening to paying the building off? You're not talking about it. I'm navigating it, God. No, no, we have to dream bigger dreams. 
the church buildings in Durban should be the best buildings in our city because they represent the kingdom of God. They represent a God that lives in heaven. It shouldn't always be church, second best, second hand. Oh, we'll just buy something cheap and nasty to get by in the service. We should be having the best because we serve a God who is the creator of everything. Oh, some of us aren't convinced yet because it's been put into your mindset to live small, to be small, to live under a, a, a poverty spirit. No, we've got to dream big dreams. God wants to supernaturally accelerate restoration and recovery in our lives. And He wants to give us divine orchestrated breakthroughs. But, but the reality is, if we're limiting God, we're holding God back. Psalm 78 says, they limited the Holy One of Israel. God was not limited. They limited Him. We've got to stop limiting God. We've got to dream big dreams again. That dream you had to make a difference in this world. Dream it again. Revisit the dreams God put in your heart. And make some decisions to pursue those dreams. Joseph had a dream of greatness. But he had a dream of significance as well. Until and until our dream of greatness combines with God's purposes, it's, 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 it's worth nothing. And the Bible says in Mark 8.36, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Joseph's dream of greatness and his dream of significance took him on a journey. A journey that he didn't start, by the way. He just dreamt. He had a dream. He didn't ask to go and see how his brothers were doing. His father sent him to his brothers, much like David when he faced Goliath. And his dream of greatness took him on a journey that got him thrown into a pit. It took him on a journey that got him sold as a slave, got him to become a servant in Potiphar's house, where he was falsely accused and sent to prison where he was forgotten about in prison for a further two years, a journey of 13 years before he became the ruler in Egypt. A journey of 13 years before he saw greatness. Because you can imagine the moment he was promoted, everybody bowed to him. He was 2IC in Egypt. Nobody had more power than him except Pharaoh. Oh, Joseph, you're the man. Joseph, you're the guy. But that journey that he walked with God through those 13 years must have deposited something in him that he understood that this journey was not just about him, that the success was not just about him, that it wasn't just about him. Although he could do what he wanted in the whole of Egypt, that he was the governor of Egypt and people were serving him and people were giving him things and he was the man. Deep down in his heart, he knew there was something more that God had for him. It was the dream of significance. But it was 13 years before he experienced greatness. In my own life, I've always looked, I've dreamt of greatness. I spoke to a pastor last week and I said, I've heard people say that when they got saved, they just wanted to get saved. And I've heard of people, when they came into ministry, they just wanted a small church. And I've heard, I've heard all these different journeys that people have had and I could never say that when I got saved I, I wanted to be a poor church mouse 
I couldn't tell you that when mom and I got saved, I wanted to become a missionary in India like Mother Teresa and, and, and live on secondhand tea bags. I'll be lying to you because that's not who I am. I have my own walk with God. And when I got saved, I also dreamt of greatness. In actual fact, my whole life I've dreamt of greatness. And my father used to say to me, son, stop being Walter Mitty, who was some dreamer. Stop being like him. Just live an ordinary life. Get a good job. Now, I want to I play professional sport. In those years, we didn't even have proper professional sport. I wanted to travel the world. And even when I had this dream of greatness before I got saved, it took me on a journey from Cape Town to do military service in Kimberley, through to Bloemfontein where I met Pastor Utt, where I got saved in Kimberley. And I'm still on that journey. But this is what I want you to see, and I want you to hear it. I've come on a journey. Joseph came on a journey. Jesus had a journey. Every man and woman of God in the Bible had a journey, and you've got a journey. But we've got to dream of greatness, and we've got to marry that dream with significance. Either this is a great message, or you're bored as anything, because nobody's going amen. This is what I want you to see. When Joseph becomes the two I see of Egypt, his greatness, his success, his fame, his fortune, his accolades. It wasn't just about him. He was governing Egypt in famine. He was governing Egypt in difficult times. And Genesis 15 verse 15 says this, 50 verse 15 says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, Before your father died, he commanded saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of God, of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. How many of us want to give retribution back to people that have hurt us? Harboring unforgiveness towards people that didn't treat us properly. Verse 18, then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. For I am in the place of God. Have you ever thought about that? He didn't say he's God. I am in the place of God. Do you not think God put you in a certain place because he needs you to serve in that place? That you are in that career. You are in that business. You are in that family because God wants you to make a difference there. You are in the place of God. You are in that community because you are in the place of God. You are in that business because you are in the place of God. You play that sport because you are in the place of God. You are married to that husband or that wife because you are in the place of God. You have those children because you are in the place of God. Joseph was mature enough to see that it wasn't just about him. And he says, do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you 
and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. It's in this passage that greatness combines with purpose and the dream of significance is fulfilled. Greatness, rule of Egypt. Do I see? Governor of Egypt. Everybody's talking about how great Joseph is. He doesn't let it go to his head. He realized his promotion, his success, even what he had to endure had a greater purpose. And when his brothers come back to him and they're fearful of him, he says, now listen, I understand everything. I am in the place of God. I'm here because God sent me. Psalm, I can't remember, it's a hundred and something. It talks about God sent a man, Joseph, before them, before the famine. God had restoration, recovery plan before. God had divine orchestrated breakthrough plan before. God had a supernatural acceleration plan before. So he sent a man before who endured a process. But it was in that process that the man got wisdom. It was in that process that the man got understanding. It was in that process that the man learned to trust God. It was in that difficult season of 13 years of his life that God built in him to raise him up for a greater purpose, for a dream of significance. Listen, God has called you to a life of significance, a life of purpose. When greatness combines with purpose, we can turn the world upside down, which is really right side up. I understand this is not a goosebump message, but here comes my challenge. I want to challenge every single one of you. Every one of you in Durban, Belito, Peter Maritzburg, Faith TV. To begin to pray. Two prayers. Maybe you should call it three. Number one, you pray, who are you, Lord, in this season of my life? Acts chapter 9. I've been saved for many years, so I don't need that. No, no, no. There's so many different facets of God's nature and character that we need to experience. So we can help other people. I mean, there must be times that, that, that Joseph prayed when he was in the pit, and maybe his prayer was simply this, get me out the pit. Maybe when he was sold as a slave, he was praying that God would send him to a good slave master. Maybe when he was standing and being sold and he was hot, well, mostly naked and, and, and he had lost all dignity. He was just praying that God would give him his dignity back. Maybe when he was falsely accused of raping Potiphar's wife, he prayed that the truth would come out. I don't know what his prayer entailed. Or maybe he just prayed when he was in prison, God used me to be a blessing to other prisoners. But through his journey with God, 13 years, until he became the ruler of and the governor of Egypt, he must have prayed many prayers. God, who are you in this season? What do you want me to do? That's the second prayer. God, who are you and what do you want me to do? God, who are you and what do you want me to do? Because too many Christians are scared to pray the second prayer. What could we do for God if we just all got committed to the purpose of God? 
What could we do for God in Durban? What could we do for God in Belita? What could we do for God in Peter Maritzburg? Could we be the catalyst of revival that God spoke to me about 20 years ago? Could we be the people that turn the city upside down, which is the right way up? Could we? Jesus had 12 disciples. One was a deceiver. One turned on Him. And it's through those 12 that He changed the world. I challenge you to pray the prayer, who are you, Lord? I challenge you, not with your wife or your husband or your daughter, to pray the prayer, Lord, what is it that you called me to do? I said there were three, right? Here comes the third, Pastor Brennan. Lord, give me the courage to do it. Give me the courage, Lord, to do it. Give me the courage to be that man and that woman of God that you've called me to be. Give me the courage, God, to stand strong in a world that is opposing your word. Because I believe with all my heart when we put God first and we put His kingdom first in our lives and His purpose first, we're going to see that divine restoration. But pastor, you, you don't even know what happened to me. You don't know what I've lost. And you don't, Listen, we've all lost something. But we have an opportunity to gain everything. Because when you find God and you walk with God, you gain everything. He can restore the years that the locust has stolen. And we've got to get to the place where we're preparing for the blessing of God to overtake us. We're speaking about a year of divine acceleration. And I'm closing with this. Amos 9 verse 13. Message translation says, yes, indeed. It won't be long now. God's decree. Things are going to happen so fast, your head will swim. One thing fast on the heels of the other. You won't be able to keep up. Everything will be happening at once. And everywhere you look, blessing. Blessings like wine pouring off the mountains and hills. I'll make everything right again for my people, Israel, which talks about the church. And it says they will rebuild the ruined cities. In the New King James Version, it talks about how the reaper will overtake the sower. That's how quick the blessings are going to come into our lives. But for God to do that, we've got to come to a place where we set ourselves apart. I know it's the end of a long year. In actual fact, with all we've been through the last two and a half years, it's an end of a long two and a half years. But God still wants to work. I want you to stand with me, please. Here in Durban, there in Belito, Peter Maritzburg, even if you're in your home on Faith TV this morning, just stand. Just for a second, close your eyes. Father, I pray right now that in the name of Jesus, you would speak to our hearts. That we would shake off everything that isn't you. And that we would make a decision to trust you, to believe in you. That we begin to put our expectation in you and your word, in your promises. And no matter what we've been through in the last 27 months, you've given us a word that we will see restoration and recovery, 
we will see divine orchestrated breakthrough, that we will see supernatural acceleration of what you've promised. And the Bible says, that if we believe in the Lord our God, we will be established. If we believe our prophet, we shall prosper. And Father, I pray today that people would make a decision in their hearts to be intentional to believe what you are saying to us as your church in this season. That we would choose to be focused and to declare every day your promises and your word. Even when we don't feel like it. Even when we can't see you moving in our lives, Father. We thank you that as we encounter you, our lives will change and the lives of people around us will change. That we can prepare to see supernatural acceleration in our lives, in our families, in our country, in our church, wherever we go, Father. We're going to see blessings. We're going to see goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives. But Father, we make a decision that we'll dwell in your presence forever and ever and ever. And I pray for every person here today, Father, there in Belito, there in Peter Maritzburg, who is wrestling with you, every person that is in a struggle to, to really get to know you, that somehow today they will surrender everything of their lives to you. Where it doesn't make sense, they'll surrender. That we'll put pride aside and success aside. And we'll be able to say, we don't, might not know what God is doing, but we're going to believe Him. We're going to turn to Him. Father, You are real. And You love people. And yes, the church of Jesus Christ might have lost some ground in the last 27 months, but we're going to see that supernatural acceleration take place. We're going to see the church of Jesus Christ rise up and be a glorious church impacting this world and turning it right side up. But for that to happen, it starts with us as individuals returning back to Him. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed and nobody's looking around. You've come here this morning, your life is not right with God. You've come here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus or maybe you have, but for whatever reason, you've wandered away. I'm not here to point a finger at you for what you've done, but your love for God has grown cold. You know as I'm speaking, God is speaking to you. It's time to come back to Him. While every head is bowed, every eyes closed, believers are praying right now. That's you this morning. Your life is not right with God. Your heart is not right with God. Offenses come into your life. Unforgiveness, bitterness. You've never given your heart to Him. It's time to come back to Him. It's time to give yourself over to Him. While every head is bowed, every eyes closed, that's you this morning. Just quickly all over this place, there in Belito, there in Maritzburg, even on Faith TV, just lift your hands and say, yes, you're talking to me this morning. I want to get right with God. Okay, we're going to pray. We're going to put our hands upon our heart. We're going to pray. We're going to pray right now. We're going to pray. Father, just pray this. All pray this prayer. And you say, dear Lord Jesus, I give myself back to you. And I ask you to come into my heart to be my Lord, to be my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins, to give me a fresh start, to guide me, to guard me, to keep me and to use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Simple prayer. Simple prayer that if you prayed with 
meaning it, you are now saved. Your sins are forgiven you. God loves you. God has a great plan for your life. And really, I believe God is challenging many of us standing here. All of us. He's looking for a greater commitment, man. Greater commitment. We have to invite our world, our unsaved world, our backslidden world, our broken world to Christ. So if you made that commitment to Christ this morning, and many raised their hands here, just speak to one of our pastors or to whoever so we can help you, walk with you in your relationship with God, get you baptized, etc., etc., etc. We can serve God in our generation in Jesus' name. Amen.